morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Now, the last time we spoke about the parable of the soils, which is really a way for us to understand people's behaviors towards God and also for us to take personal responsibility for the receiving of spiritual things. So the parable of the soils explains a lot of things. You know, we looked at the first two soils. Why do some uh, come to Christ quickly, but then just as quickly abandon the faith? Why do others seem to be doing good for a while? And uh, when persecution and tribulation arise, uh, they become angry and resentful, and they also fall away. Uh, And then today we're going to speak about the last two soils. We're going to speak about the third soil, which is the thorny soil. That those that maybe are churchy people, they come to church and they hear the solid word of God, but they really are at church for everything else except for the relationship with God. Believers who go their whole lives without bearing any fruit. And then, of course, the fourth soil is the good soil. That rich, it's like when you go to plant your gardens and you, you, know, you come up, move the leaves, or the leaves around and such, and there's this thick, black, rich, moist soil that you know whatever you put in that soil, anything is going to grow there. But it's amazing how Jesus uses these soils as representative of our hearts because our hearts could either be fertile to receive the things of God or they could be hard like the first soil and reject the things of God or, or shallow like the second soil. So this is very important. We know that, and I talked about how the, the term the heart, again, we know it is the fourth chamber uh, muscle that sits behind the rib cage, but whether it was Hebrew culture or Greek culture or Roman culture or even American culture, we still understand the heart is, is more than that when we talk about the heart in songs and poetry. It's the will, the intellect, and the emotions. So this morning we're going to finish up and look at the sower. The sower is the one who, who sows the seeds, the, who maybe preaches or teaches or reads the Bibles or give out Bibles. And what happens is, you know, they throw those seeds, and those that are listening are the hearts and the soils that the seed falls on. Now, Jesus spoke about a day uh, in his time where there were hard hearts. He referenced Isaiah 6, which several centuries before Jesus came to the earth, you know, the Son of God incarnate. Uh, In Isaiah's day, there were hard hearts. And we know that in American culture, there's also hard hearts. So I think the third soil is really going to speak to our... American culture. There's a lot of good things about our culture, but there's also a lot of things that are antagonistic to the reception of the Word of God. So I'm going to read the first 17 verses to refresh you. If you haven't, you know, this is really the second part, the second sermon in this series. So verse 1 through 17 to refresh, and we're only going to cover 18 through 20, and then we're going to close uh, for this morning. So I just want to cover the soils and then move on to the rest uh, on next Sunday. So verse Verse 1 in chapter 4, it says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop." 
But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive. Now this is referencing Isaiah 6. And hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. This is open to everybody, by the way. Verse 13, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And those are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, Immediately they stumble. Now, this is important to understand because we talk about fruit. At the end of this, he's going to speak about what the Word does. And, and I showed you some seeds on Sunday and how unsi- inside the heart, husk is the embryonic plant. And when conditions are right, you know, the husk is open, the embryonic plant comes out and it grows. And from a tiny seed, you can produce a great crop. But we have to understand that the person that does not bear fruit is not a Christian, period. And I just bring you back to John 15. John 15 spoke about Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now, this is interesting for believers because we will go through difficulty. Because he says, you know, the branches are to be pruned. And when we're pruned, it's difficult, it's painful. But he says that it's so that the branches produce more fruit and much fruit. And you see this increase that a believer produces in fruit-wise. But he does say that the branch that does not bear fruit is cut off, separated. It's withered. It dies. And it's thrown into the fire. Not a good picture. Not a believer. Now, to settle everyone's concerns, we're going to talk about what spiritual fruit is at the end. And it encompasses a lot of things. So that's where we're going with this. Now... I do want to say that I did blur the lines a little bit, and I did that on purpose. Proper biblical exegesis is that the first three soils, they're not saved. It's not a saved person. The fourth soil is, and that's what we want to be, of course. And we control our heart and what gets into our heart and what grows in our heart. However, for the purposes of, of application, what I purposely did was I talked about how believers can get into danger spiritually when we start to take on characteristics of the first three seeds. Not that we're losing our salvation, but it means that, listen, we're we're sinners as Christians. We mess up. We need to repent as sinners. I repent every day. You know, in my prayer time with God, I repent because I have to because I still sin. Now, so we, we can sin as believers. We can backslide. But we really have to be careful of getting into these dangerous areas of the first three seeds. And I'm going to talk to you Uh, about how that occurs. So there's two things going on, really. Think about this. You know, when we talk about new believers, here's the pitfalls and the dangers. We're new believers. We don't know anything about the faith. We don't know how to walk. That's why uh, we're likened to babies, born again as babies, and then eating, drinking the milk of the Word, and eventually moving on to meat. But there's also pitfalls sometimes of believers 
who've been believers for a long time. Sometimes believers for a long time can get stuffy. They can become hard. They can become unteachable. That's not a good place to be. Well, I know it all. Well, you can't teach me anything. They become crusty and they become critical spirits. And that happens. Not a good thing. The other thing that can happen to believers who've been believers for a while is they can become shallow. They can allow things to cause a shallowness inside of them where they really don't put those roots down very deep. They are saved. They've trusted Jesus. They do repent. But they get into this dangerous ground of shallowness where they can't really be used that much. I had a, I tell you, there was an awesome feedback. That's why I'm only covering three verses today, 18, 19, and 20. Because last Sunday, I had a lot of people come up to me and during the week and just speak about how the, the word ministered to them, how the parable of the soils are so powerful. And two people, if you were here last Sunday, came forward to receive the Lord. But there was a believer, and I won't go into detail, who came up to me and said, I think I'm shallow as a believer. And I said, praise the Lord that, the, that God has convicted you in that. But I've also said, I've been and I have to be careful how, how I go about this, not too much detail, but I've been watching in some areas and some venues, and I think the Lord's already started to change your heart. So don't be despondent. Be joyful. That's right, that you're open, that your heart is open to the things of the Lord and that you want to change and please your Lord and Savior. That's a good thing. So verse 18. Now these are the thorns, are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So the third soil, or the third heart, Seems to start off good, but unfortunately it's compromised by the thorns that are also in that that general area that grow up and choke out the fruitfulness. So the third heart is a worldly heart. It's a thorny heart. It's a compromised heart. Luke tells us that the cares and the riches and the pleasures help to bring forth the seed with no maturity, no fruit to maturity. And this one is huge in American culture. You know, I, I pray and I, you know, I, I go through the message and, and it's, I don't do a message in one day because I, I mull it over in my mind as I'm doing my weekly activities and the Lord kind of throws, throws me something here and there and I write it down. So it's, for me, it's, a, it's really a weekly process. I'd like to get it done in an hour, but it never happens that way. And I thought about this and I said, this one's huge in American culture. And then my wife and I, a few days ago, we were driving in the car and I listened to Chuck Smith on the iPod. And he was teaching this same thing 30 years ago. And he goes, this is big in American culture. I'm like, right on, you know. I mean, but it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, if you know American culture, that this would be uh, big, especially as we go through the steps here. Now, in the world, the flesh and the devil, the enemies of our soul, this one is the world. It's always stealing the attention that we should be giving to God. There's too many competing seeds and vegetation in this little garden here. Warren Wiersbe puts it best. He says, this person wants to walk the narrow road and the wide road at the same time. Now, I'm not as eloquent as Warren Wiersbe, but I would tell you that, to me, it reminds me of somebody who's trying to ride two horses with one tushy. It just doesn't work. You know, eventually it'll cause a lot of pain and suffering, and you'll lose it all. But 
Understand this. These are not monsters in the Christian culture. These aren't monsters in the church. These are often very nice, polite, well-meaning people, albeit self-deceived. Everything in life is more important than God and what He desires for us. Now, let's look at the illustration, if we could put the illustration up. And we talked about the first... Look at her face. She's not very happy. She's, she's the hard heart. She's got a puss on. <laughs> so you see, the, you see the heart. It's a kind of a window to her soul there. And uh, there's some seeds and the birds are picking it up. And he's, he's a little upset, obviously. He's got the stony heart with a little bit of soil. The crop kind of grows and the sun comes and it withers out and becomes unfruitful. We're on the thorny heart and she's kind of looking away. You know, I, we have um, one of our children's ministry teachers saw this last Sunday and she goes, I got to have that for the kids. She goes, I, you got you to get that for me. I want to laminate it and show it to them. But, you know, it, it's kind of interesting if you read their, I don't know who did this, but if you read their facial expressions, she's kind of looking far in the distance. You know, she's out distracted by other things. You see the seed over there and all these thorns grow with it and kind of choke out its fruitfulness. And we'll get to him. He's very happy, you can see. We'll get to him at the end. So let's talk about some things that can affect us as believers in American culture, because I believe it's, it's apropos. Verse 19 tells us, number one, the cares of the world. I'm going to break this down in the Greek. I went to different uh, Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. I went back into my Greek text. And the cares of the world can also be translated the distractions of the world. American culture, amen? This one's big. We struggle with distractions. And when we're dealing with God, many times we have to clear our head and go somewhere quiet so we can spend some quiet time with him. Because I'll tell you something, God won't compete. He won't compete and he won't be second, second best. Now, just so nobody feels, I mean, because this is, this is going to be heavily in, in a convicted area. I mean, if we're, we're open to the word, we all should be convicted by this. So I'm going to use myself in a negative example, just so you don't think I'm kind of throwing you, you, you. I say we, all of us, have to deal with this. There's times when there's maybe a situation coming up and I, I should be praying more about it. I should be seeking God more. I should be looking at the scripture more. And it goes down and it's not real favorable to me. I'm mature enough to know that whenever that happens, it's not his fault. That's foolish. He's perfect. It's my fault. I didn't do enough. I didn't give him the time. Maybe there was things that he wanted to say to me that I wasn't listening to. So distractions is very important. And we all suffer from distractions based on where we live in 2014. The second thing is the deceitfulness of riches. The word deceit can also be translated delusion. Little subtle nuances, but if you look at the words, there, is, there are nuances to it. Delusion. This thing starts off innocuously. Okay, And do I really need to go into you know, what we have in the United States versus what people have in poor countries? I, I don't think I need to go into it. Our possessions, which are really, they're not harmful in and of themselves. They're not evil. But we just keep accumulating, accumulating. We become, the American dream is almost like the hoarding dream. We just keep getting more stuff. And then when we're tired of that, we get bigger stuff. And then we get better stuff. And we get more expensive stuff. And it, it's reflected in things. It's reflected in our recreation. It's reflected in our education. It's reflected in our, um, all these things. Even keeping yourself in shape. I mean, it's become, we worship this kind of stuff. 
Why is it a delusion? Because it cleverly takes things that are harmless and twists them so they become our gods and our masters. How many times have you heard somebody say, yeah, I'm working for this house. Yeah, I'm working for that car. I'm working for this. I'm working for that. Keep working. Keep chipping away in the salt mines. You know, that's what Satan wants you to do. Keep being distracted. Oh, yeah, one day I'll devote myself to the Lord. And it usually never happens. When I ask this question, what comes to mind? Don't call it out, please. What is it that steals most of my time? What is it that steals so much of my time that I'm not giving ample time to my Lord and Savior? We all have something that comes to mind. What owns us? Right? We go from owning things to things owning us. Man, that's weird. And they are a hard taskmaster. It's never enough. Downsize is a dirty word in American culture. Your peers will look down on you. They'll think you're weird. What are you doing that for? I want to pause for a moment. Again, because conviction is good, despondency is bad. Several years ago, uh, I had a project car. My wife was pregnant with... Some of you at the overnight, the couples retreat have heard this, and I think my wife brought this up. I don't think I brought it up, but we'll talk about it. I had this car. It was a project car, and I was always under the hood. You know, where's Joe? Well, you, you, you find the, you know, his butt sticking out by the grill and the, and the hood over his head. You know, just a perfectionist. Everything had to be clean. Everything had to be in detail. And then my son was born, and I spent some time with my son and my wife, and I would go out and work on the car again. It got so bad that my wife had a name for the car. She called it the other woman. <laughs> Where's Joe? He's with the other woman. <laughs> you know, it got so bad that I had to sell it because it just, it just took, it sucked so much of my time. And then uh, some years later, it's kind of funny, we had a very small house and a, a real tiny living room, which is not a bad thing, but I would have Bible studies and I wanted um, to have more people over because you can only fit a few people in there. So we were praying about another house and... You know, one of my prayers was that it would have a bigger living room so that I could have a men's group. And my wife said, while you're taking prayer requests, can you just ask God if we get hardwood floors too? You know? <laughs> so we ended up getting both of them. And it was really a fixer-upper. It was really, a, it was really just in disgusting shape. So I started with the bathrooms and the kitchen. And I got that nice, so it's at least it's sanitary. And what happened over time was I did this room and then that room. And that house owned me. That house sent me out to work, to work overtime. That house said, come home, you need to put up the molding, you need to paint me. That house said, you need to do some electric work, plumbing, and carpentry. You know, a friend, eventually a friend of mine opposed me, and he, he sat down with me, and he said, you're making your house a god. And you know what? I had nothing to say to him. He was absolutely right. Because I had spiritual gifts, and I wasn't using them. I even promised God something, and I was reneging on my promise to God. So... We can go through this. Hopefully we have friends that love us enough, like friends that said to me, you're making your house a God, because that's important. And I'll tell you this. Some of you are sitting on your spiritual gifts because you're letting the thorns encroach into your life. Every one of you, if you're a believer, has a spiritual gift. Right? And we need to be using those gifts because if you take a look in the paper, in the news, the world's really deteriorating very fast, especially in our area. Some of you are justifying why you need to go to work and why you need to work so much overtime and why you need to buy all these things. But I don't know who you are. That's up to you to figure it out. The third thing, he says, it's the desire for other things. 
The word desire can be translated lust. Now some will say, oh, I know that word. That's sexual. Not always. Not always. Remember Lot's wife? When the angels, were, were, you know, God was going to destroy Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and, and they were to be pulled out of the city and protected. Right? There was only four of them left. And the angels were, hurry, you know, we got to move. You know, fire and brimstone's coming down, etc. And actually, you can see the ruins in, in the high content of certain minerals that obviously the Bible's right. But they, they were told not to look back. And Lot's wife looked back. Now, it wasn't that she stumbled, tripped, and went, oops, and looked back. She looked back because she lusted after the city. She lusted after what was there, you know? God was saying, come to me, and she's saying, no, I want to I stay back there. And you know the story. God eventually put her on a high-sodium diet. <laughs> I want to see if you're awake. What are we teaching our kids? What am I teaching my son? Do we really care? If they go off into the world or college or the business world and they lose their faith, why do we care? If we didn't show our children that God is number one and God is important in our household, don't be surprised when they go to college and they lose their faith or they go in the workforce or they leave their homes. Parents, are we being hypocrites? We can't complain to our children about their faith or this or that if we're not showing it in, in the home. Amen? Now, for those of you who have come to the Lord later in life and you have adult children, just keep praying for them and, and try to do the best you can. But for those of us who have raised our children as babies and we were Christians, we really don't have much of an excuse. Okay? Luke 8 adds, <laughs> boy, the Bible covers everything. I mean, we're, we're hitting every single angle to this thorny situation. Luke 8 adds the pleasures of life. In the Greek, the word is hedone, where we get the word hedonism from. Here's another one. Improper sensuality. Now, just like the false prosperity gospel uh, appeals to the worldly, there's plenty of false doctrine that specifically, you know this is sick if you think about it, to have a Christian organization and to purposely, well, I, I guess wittingly, unwittingly, to have this false doctrine that appeals to a certain group. I'm going to appeal this to wealthy people. I'm going to appeal this to, to poor people. This one, I think a lot of it is a, a, appealed towards the youth, towards the young adults. You know, in these groups, you'll never hear purity, holiness, self-control. You'll never hear that. Because actually some of the pastors act like juveniles because they think that's attractive to the young adults. Personally, I think that's insulting. Do we make the assumption that all of our young adults are into awful things all the time? That's insulting, I think, to young adults, and they shouldn't tolerate that type of teaching. That's garbage. But hedone, hedonism, pleasures, but deeper than that, sensual pleasures that are improper. Now, worldly temptations, again, has American culture, I believe, written all over it. And I think that the third uh, influence of the thorns of the world is the biggest contributor to why the 21st century church is, is a spectator sport and not a participatory one. It's my opinion. Christians with tendencies towards the first to third soils really make Satan look more powerful than God. Now, to some, if I said that, if I was talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, that would be extremely insulting. If you said that to me, I'd be insulted too. But the, with our behaviors and our actions and how we... Uh, go through life as Christians, we can show the world that Christ is weak and he's ineffective. 
because that's how he's playing out through my daily life, through my lifestyle. Amen? Do we want to show the rest of the world? Oh, I've been praying for my unsaved coworker. Well, what does your unsaved coworker see about you? What does your, your, your peer in your college class or your professor see about you? Do they see that you're the real deal? You know how many atheists I've watched on YouTube and famous atheists who can tell the difference, and they're atheists, between a, a carnal Christian, a thorny Christian, and the real deal? And I've heard them say it, this person's the real deal. Amen? They can see the world is watching, can't complain. Our children, our coworkers, our unsaved loved ones, we might be part of the problem. We're showing Christ to be powerless and ineffective. And basically, this is a hard, this is a hard message to teach, and just a little bit on an aside. I mean, I'd love to preach a message where everybody's smiling and cheering. And I mean, this is just the human heart. It's desperately wicked. This is not an easy thing to preach because it really hits a nerve. And I know, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to get some that have a problem with what I'm saying. They're going to pick it apart. They're not listening for its content. They're listening to try to pick it apart. And listen, I, I'm, I'm convicted, okay? We all should be convicted because it's the culture that we live in, okay? So the first three soils uh, share very similar influences, the world, the flesh, and the devil. How does Satan do his, his deal in these soils? In the first soil, Satan outrightly takes it away. He, he, he removes it, but we give him that right. We open up our heart for him to do that. In the second, the devil uses, he's got, again, I, I said this in the Young Adults group on Friday, he's got this huge tool bag, and, and it's, it's really deep. Like, he puts his arm in, and it goes all the way down, and you're like, wow, it's that deep? And he pulls out different tools, discouragement, uh, anger, rage, misunderstanding of what somebody said, um, whatever the case may be. He just pulls this out, and he just throws it at it. You know, Jesus is a fisher of men, but so is Satan. He uses bait, too, to try to hook us and get that hook stuck in our face and pull us in. He goes, I, I got a bite on that one. The first three lures didn't work, but I'm patient. I'm patient. So in the second soil, the devil uses intense persecution. In the third, he uses a carrot instead of a stick, which works very well in American culture. So that's whole denominations, again, false doctrine, prosperity gospel, Again, you, you, you are in the prosperity gospel for enough time, 10 years, you, you still haven't grown any. Because all you hear is that God wants you to be rich, God wants you to be healthy, all you have to do is have faith. Um, you know, yeah, sure. And you know who's making the most money? You know who the multimillionaires are? Not the people in the church, but the preachers. It's false doctrine. But it works in American culture because we have a sickness in our heart that wants us to be rich. How many Christians, oh, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just hit it big. Really, where's your daily walk with the Lord? I don't play the lottery, and, and I don't judge anybody who does. But I really believe that the Lord will provide for my every need. And that's the way we need to be. Again, how are we showing ourselves to everyone else? Sometimes I've, I've seen with this thorny soil, um, guys rise up, pop up every once in a while. Oh, I have a desire to be a pastor. And when you raise your hand, Satan says, I saw that hand too. Let me see what I can do to, to undo what you just said. In three months, I'll have you not even thinking about it anymore. And that's what he does. What's the solution? It's kind of interesting that um, my wife and I do a lot of gardening and, and a lot of our own landscaping, not the real heavy stuff. But, um, you know, yesterday was a beautiful day. 
We were looking for vines that were growing up through the boxwood bushes and stuff and pulling them out by the root. We were looking for the thorns and the pyracanther that grew too much and started choking the other vegetation. We had, to, we had to trim them. We had to clean up. We had to dig. We had to uproot, a lot of uprooting in the spring. Why? So that the beautiful vegetation that you want, the good stuff, will grow unencumbered. And it's no different. Jesus is a genius as the son of God. He used something that everybody could understand because especially in that culture as an agrarian society, they could look out every day and see his examples just kind of coming to light as he was speaking. And I could imagine as he was talking, he might have pointed to some things that they would have understood. But the solution is to rip out bad influences out of our heart by the root. And sometimes that's painful. You ever have a surgeon remove a tumor or something that started to grow into your good flesh? It's going to hurt. They got to open you up. They got to get deep, deep, deep and eventually pull that thing out. And the healing process is difficult. Well, it's the same thing with our spiritual selves. When, when the Lord comes in, if we allow him to rip those things out of us, it's painful because we got used to them, even though they're difficult. We got used to them. But that's the solution. And the question is, how bad do we want God? How bad do we want to take things out of our lives that crowd out God? Now let's go to the fourth soil. This is the good heart. This is the good soil. And I believe all of us can be that. Especially if we recognize the shortcomings that we have, we can be that, all of us. I want to, it basically says that uh, the good ground that yields a crop, it bears fruit. And I want to cover Matthew and Luke, just one verse apiece, because I just want to hit it as much as I can and, and the nuances and how they say it. Uh, Matthew 13, 23, because we read Mark already. Jesus says, But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, some 30, and understands it. Remember, most of the crowd didn't say, hey, Jesus, while you're speaking, can you explain that? They didn't. They said, where's the free meal? Where's the healing? My nephew has a demon. Can you cast it out? That's basically what the crowds did. However, what the Bible tells us in Mark is that a few of them and the 12 came to Jesus when he was done, and they said, what does that mean? What about all the other hundreds of people or thousands? Did they want to know what it means? Do we want to know what it means? He who hears it and understands. Jesus is more than happy to explain these things to us. Luke 8, 15. He says this. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Patience, endurance, going the distance with God. When we're, when we're working on a degree, a master's or a doctorate, we go the distance. Oh, don't bother me, I'm studying. I'm going for a promotion. You can't talk to me right now, I'm studying. We go the distance. When we compete physically, well, everybody wants gets, gets the gold, right, coach? You know, everybody wants to get the, the trophy or the gold. They're going to go the distance. But what about with God? Are we lackluster? Or do we want to endure and go the distance with God as well? Oh, he's God. He'll understand. I'll put him last. That really shouldn't be the attitude. Brothers and sisters, this is what we can be and this is what we must be. Now, the truth is we can never take ever credit for salvation, but we can determine the condition of the soil of our heart. Now let's talk about fruit. Fruit, this is the fun part. So just um, see how happy he is. Look, he's showing his teeth. 
He's got a big smile, and uh, look at the crop. Here, it didn't even germinate. I mean, we can, we can, we can talk about it. different Bible scholars have to have little nuances. Did, did they actually germinate? Did they germinate? Were they crowded out? And I don't want to get into all that, but over here, there's a big difference from these three. You see an incredible uh, crop in that guy's heart. Verse 20, I'll read that again. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100 each person bears a different amount of fruit as a believer, but we all bear fruit. And the cool thing is, from one seed, 30-fold, 60, or 100 is a heck of a lot of fruit. Because if we allow God to be a part of the process, we work with him, he's the one who's going to de- develop the crop inside of us, and we'll be blessed by that. I want to be the 100-fold fruit bearer. If that's what God has for me, that's what I want to be. And it doesn't mean that I, I get all this stuff for me to accumulate. It, it means that I want to make a difference in this world for Christ. But what does fruit look like? This is the question everybody's been waiting for. This is analogous or analogous to the fruit that you eat. You know, you, you see, I have a fig tree. I can't wait to unwrap it. I've got to wait till the, the evening temperatures are in the high 30s. I love figs, man. It's just such a natural source of sweetness and goodness. And it, it's just grown so big and beautiful. But, you know, I get excited because the spring comes and I see the little buds and, and then you know, it really is a late fruit bearer. It happens usually towards the end of the summer. And then I see them get bigger and bigger, the little figs, and they're still green though. And I, I just want to grab one, but I can't because it's nasty. Uh, so, <laughs> so then when they start turning purple, oh, purple and they're squishy and oh, this is, this is it. This is heavenly. But it, it's the same thing with us. You know, we, God's going <laughs> to, Jesus is just amazing. He's just amazing, his, his analogies. Because we start off with little fruit that's hard and doesn't really taste good. And, you know, we got to let God, this, he's, remember, he's the vine. He's the source. What do you do if I cut off one of them little figs in early summer? It's never going to be anything. But if I, it's, if I keep it connected to the source where the water and the nutrients and you know, the sunlight and everything gets to it, it's going to be a beautiful fruit. And it's the same thing with us believers, right? That fruit. And, and what is fruit? It's tasty, it's delicious, it's sweet, but it's not bad for you. You want to eat more of it. So God makes the, you know, and we can produce this fruit in a spiritual sense. In a theoretical perspective, what, you know, the, the whole fruit issue and, and the whole thorn issue when we, take, when we talk about God, we talk about time, money, and passion. Um, when we do the things in the world, we look at time, money, and passion. Do we give the same attention to the things of God to bear fruit? So what is fruit? Number one, change of character. Oh, gee, that, that's, that's interesting. Well, I don't know. I'm a new believer. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm panicking here in this message. Well, don't. Has your character changed? Do you bear the fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. Okay, that's a start. You're starting to change. You're, you're born again. You're different. Uh, change in life and work. Change in how you view things. 
Usually what happens as a new believer is they start understanding and God does something in their heart and then eventually it starts to play out in their hands and their feet and, you know, what they actually do. But it's a process when you bear fruit. Um, Here's one, loving others by our actions. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. At the very least, can we love each other? Right? Sometimes that's a challenge. Let's be honest. Uh, Pastor Vinny talked Wednesday about, is there some people in this church that annoy you? I mean, we're the family of God. If we're all believers, we're going to have to get along. We're going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to learn to love and to forgive. So loving, not just by platitudes, but by actions. Uh, Using our spiritual gifts, encouragement, helps, serving, teaching, administration, leading, evangelism, sharing your faith with somebody else that's really struggling. And you're just telling them, you, you just, you're loving them in your heart. You want to see them do better. And they're just in a self-defeating, dysfunctional course. And you know what God has done for you. And you want to share that with somebody else. That's evangelism. Here's the encouraging news. For those who haven't had good soil, God's word is regenerative. If you don't know the Lord this morning, Romans 10.17 says that the word is regenerating you as the last 30, 35 minutes of what you've been listening to, it it will, if you allow it to, it will start to change your heart. Okay, so the good news is that all you have to do is repent of your self-directed life and be saved. Very simple. That's a start. Let God do the rest. For those believers now, believers whose heart is dangerously close to one of these three soils in the beginning... We would have to repent and recommit our lives to Christ. And that might happen several times in your walk over, over life, and you may eventually at some point not lose count at some point, but that's okay. It's the heart is there. It's right. That's why we, we, we get together on a Sunday morning to go through the Word so we can be changed by the Word. You know, it's contrary to popular belief, we don't get together on Sunday in church to always be lifted up. That will make us immature believers. It will make us ineffective and weak. And when we go through a trial, there's nothing there to, to pull from. There's no roots. There's nothing in there. We come together on Sunday, wherever we are in the scripture. If it's encouraging, enjoy it. Ride the wave. <laughs> if, it's, if it's convicting, well, how does it affect me? How can it affect my heart? For the, second, for the first ground, God can till the ground of the hard and fallow ground of our hearts and open it up to receive his word. For the ground that has very little moisture and depth, God can provide that moisture and depth, and he wants to wash us with the water of the word, as Ephesians 5 tells us. So he can change the shallow heart too. And also, for the third heart, you know, God's not going to go into our gardens and start pulling stuff out without our permission. He did give us free will. If we give him free will, well, he's, he's the one you want working with him. He's the super laborer to get in there and start ripping those things out, if we want that, if that's the desire of our heart. Remember, in closing... It's our heart. It's our heart. He's given us free will. Do we have the heart of the fourth and fertile soil? As Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.